Ladies and gentlemen and others, welcome back to the Woody Allen Retrospective, our nice, lovely side project called Woody Allen Adjacent, where we continue to talk about other movies that we love to relate to Woody Allen in some kind of way. And sometimes it makes no goddamn sense, but we're going to do it anyway. I'm joined by my co-host with the most, James Daniel Walsh. Welcome back, sir. I've been looking forward to this one. You know what you deserve and what I never give you, James, every time I usher you in? I never give you what you truly deserve. A round of applause. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what I really mean to say is I paid about $80 for this physical soundboard that I hardly use. And God damn it, I'm going to start using it more than I've been using it in the past. Okay? So sue me, guys. I know it's corny, but sue me. Here we go, James. Here we go. So today's discussion Today we're going to have a little bit of preamble. We've got, we've got some outside things we want to talk about as well as this movie. This movie that James chose that I never even knew existed, which is still very perplexing to me. But before we get to our movie today, let's talk about some news and some side things, including James pointed something out to me about an actor that we spoke about. Well, I want to say we shitted on him, but... He was the star actor in Woody Allen's last movie, Rifkin's Festival. And he kind of popped up in the news because he actually did something that James pointed out to me that, James, actually, I'm going to give you the floor to speak about. What did Wallace Shaw do that we want to start the show by talking about? Uh, He stepped up and he did something I think is pretty courageous. He wrote an article where he both defended Woody Allen and defended his right to be in a Woody Allen movie. I was so surprised at the length of this article. And I think it was smart that he waited probably, you know, a year, a year plus since after Ripskin's Festival came out. He wasn't defensive and put it out there before the movie came out. He's waited. He's let the movie set out. He's let everyone shit on the movie, including us, talk about him being completely miscast. Then he's come out and said his piece. Now, I just want to say, before I let you go on, James, say, very well written. I actually think the length of it was so interesting to me because as I was reading it, and again, I'm going to be an arsehole, I was thinking, what is sure, you know, you know, you're not, even he admits this in the article, you're not a star, you know, prime meat actor, and you're writing this seven, eight, nine page blog essay about defending Woody Allen, you know, and you say yourself it's going to make you seem a little bit biased. Who's going to read this for? Because the way he constructs, he builds it up and he, he makes, he puts all the points out there. But I really do, I really think it's worth a read. I'll put a link to it in the description. And I think it's important that there's a, me and Simon and you, James, have said this before, the two-facedness of, the two-facedness of actors that have worked with Woody Allen paid lip service, said they're donating their salaries and they will never work with him again, but still enjoy the accolades of working with the Allen and 
kind of like I don't know the whole story, but I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna def- to say I I support women, Woody Allen shit anyway. I think that for Wallace Shaw to step up and do this is great, but I more than anything, I think what he's written here is actually quite a conscious. I wish I could say unbiased. He says it's biased too, but I think he's got some good valid points. It's a long read, but I think he did a really good job, and I think it's it's worth highlighting. So, James, you know, what did you think, and how do you feel about it? Well, first, I just like to be an asshole for a second, because uh, uh, you know, you the the one I I always think of when I think of the uh, I'll never work with him again is Mira Sorvino, who can't fucking find work anyway. And she might say, well, I'm never going to work with again. I'm pretty sure if you went to her house, that Oscar is sitting pretty prominently somewhere. Oh, definitely. But as far as Wallace Shawn, first of all, I thought it was great. He even kind of admits in the article, Woody probably cast him because he couldn't get anybody else. I mean, he even Wallace Shawn says that. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, he's he's incredibly sympathetic to Dylan. He never really calls out Mia Farrow or Ronan Farrow. He he mentions them as being so caught up in the, the the sort of mythology that they've built up around this event that he doesn't think happened of Woody molesting Dylan. Um, that they they can't that even if they knew the truth, they couldn't face it because it would completely destroy their their family unit and it would destroy the the public's perception of them. Wallace Shawn is pretty open about just like, look, I, I, I don't know what actually happened, but I looked into the, you know, two different, two different uh, uh, organizations looked into this. They say Dylan was not molested. No charges were brought against Woody. I don't buy the story. It doesn't make any sense. And so I weighed all of this up when I deciding whether or not I wanted to work with him again. I decided I don't think he did it. So I have every right to be in this movie. And I think it's disingenuous for my uh, my fellow actors who either have just jumped on the Me Too bandwagon and are prepared to believe anything that anybody says or who just want to look like they've jumped on the Me Too bandwagon and are, they maybe don't think, because I, I have a hard time believing, I've always thought this, that ever since those accusations were made in like 1992, and Woody has made, what, most, like more than half of his movies after that, uh, the hundreds of actors who've worked with him, they have to have at least looked into this case and thought, well, do I want to work with this guy? Did he molest his kid? Oh, I'm looking into the story. I don't think he did it. So I'm going to work with this guy. Um, and now they're saying, oh, you know, I'm sorry, Dylan. You know, I'll, I'll never, never, never work with him again. I'm so sorry I did this. Um, and Wallace Shawn calls him out and says, you know what? You work with the guy. You took the paycheck. You took the Oscars. Um, and now you're suddenly, because it's fashionable, you're turning, you're turning on him, uh, and I'm not going to do that. And I thought that was really courageous of him to do. It was, but more than anything, I think it was very well written. No, Robert Wydie and um, 
obviously, <laughs> Alec Baldwin is in the news for a whole, whole oh. other reason right now, which is a, a terrible tragedy that we're not even going to touch on right now. But Alec Baldwin, Robert YD, you know, Woody, arguably Woody Allen's biggest offenders, um, consistently writing blogs, podcasts out there. And now, Wallace Shawn's produced something really good. I think it's important for people to stand up for people they believe in, especially if they were proven innocent in a court of law. But hey, mm-hmm. that's just my opinion. Or not even, you know, Woody wasn't proved innocent because there was never even enough evidence to even have a trial or charge him. My, my mistake. Uh, I should I should pick my words very carefully. <laughs> that is correct. That is correct. But, you know, I mean, I think I think this is what, that Wallace Shawn had a part here where he mentioned this, that, that there are quite a few actors who either do defend him or just won't speak ill of him. Like Scarlett Johansson is, it's brought up a lot, you know, to her, like, oh, would, you, would you work with Woody again? And she said, she either kind of dodges it a little bit or she just flat out says, yeah, I would. Yeah. Uh, I think Kate Winslet and Jude Law and uh, blanking now, obviously Alec Baldwin, but there's quite a few actors who've just said, look, uh, if he calls and I get a script and I like it, I'd be in his movie. So, you know, those those defenders are out there, but I think a lot of them have gotten to the point where they just, instead of defending him, they just dodge the question. And I, it's, it's, I think, pretty great that Wallace Shawn just took it head on. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of respect. Again, I'll put a link to the in the description. It's, it's frustrating. If you're a fan of Woody Allen... You know, everything that you felt he's done for women in the film and, you know, being put through multiple court cases and slander consistently, you know, I get even... I'm glad Wadishawn does this, but whenever I see this come back, then you see the feral army come attack. And then, you know, we to this day, I've seen people... Well, people still email me about, how can you defend Woody, you know, even when we spoke about the... Mia Farrell, um, uh, Alan versus Farrell documentary, still get comments on that. You know, it is what it is. Um, I'm kind of fed up of it. They did come after him too. I did notice that Dylan's lawyer or something, uh, when when they reached out to Dylan for comment, basically said, well, Sean is taking advantage and he doesn't know what he's talking about. He should shut yeah. the fuck up. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just, it's, honestly, it's just sad. And uh, let's move on to related news, because this is, well, not necessarily related, but for fans of Woody Allen, like us, there is a new Woody Allen collection out. You can find it on Amazon, which is ironic, but, you know, Amazon, even though they got into that legal battle as a studio against Woody Allen, but now they are selling a new Woody Allen collection. This has been produced, or sorry, published by Quiver Films. Now, <laughs> this collection, air quotes, is just a series of what is it, eight or nine films. I'll, I'll read out the films just so you, if you don't want to click on the link, let me read out the films in this new collection. Bullets Over Broadway, Mighty Aphrodite, Everyone Says I Love You, Celebrity, Small Time Crooks, The Curse of the Jade Scorpion, Hollywood Ending, and anything else. So... If you go on the Amazon page, you'll see the pictures, nice big square pictures of the artwork 
very beautiful looking. When you go to the Amazon reviews, there's one review here that really makes me laugh. I think is it one star? It says, what the hell is Quiver Films? <laughs> is this the best Woody Allen can get? Yes, I know Woody Allen has a scandal, but the Criterion Collection has a complete package of Roman Polanski's works. Mm-hmm. And 29 yeah. people have liked that comment. I, you know, and that's sad. But what I will say in defense of this collection is that Woody Allen has got so many films, over 50 films, that different distributors have put them out. Some are in Blu-ray, some are not. This collection here of these eight films, which I a lot of them I'm not the biggest fan of. They're not terrible. Three of them I really like. But mm-hmm. some of them have gone out of print. So this is basically filling the gaps. This is a collection of filling in the gaps. I just wish they don't they didn't call it the Woody Allen collection because I don't think any of these films are even in like what most fans would consider his top ten best films. In fact, the number one if I had to guess, the number one film out of all of this, and again, I guess this is dependent on your taste. I feel like maybe everybody says I love you, maybe? No, Bullets Over Broadway was pretty popular. I, that's my, out of this bunch, that's my favorite. Mm-hmm. Bullets Over Broadway. I, I got a soft spot for everyone says I love you. Yeah. Uh, and I like Mighty Aphrodite too, but the, yep. yeah, everything after that, the, the sort of late 90s, early 2000s Woody movies are pretty either forgettable or terrible. So yeah, yeah. it's not a great collection. It's not. This is a fill in the gap. I haven't got all these on Blu-ray. And again, I, these are not remasters either. As you said, uh, James, I just read these are DVD transfers. Mm. So, you know, and if uh, anyone's wondering what the price is, let me scroll down. It is 49, 50 bucks. 50 bucks, yeah. 50 pounds. No. So, I mean, I guess if you're looking for those movies cause, and you can't find them anymore, it's it's worth it, but... I wouldn't. I wouldn't like uh, upgrade. I've got all those on DVD. I wouldn't. I wouldn't upgrade. Yeah, I still think that um, although you can, people can say how much they hate Woody Allen. As soon as Woody Allen passes away, they're going to capitalize on his whole collection, and there will be an ultimate master collection of Woody Allen's films. I'm telling you, if not broken up into like three or, at, I think it will collate at least into three collections. You know. And then some kind of estate will do it, whether it's Yunying or, you know, one of the big distributors or something. I just think, or it'll be a European collection. I just think there's a much better collection waiting down the line for the super fans. Um, but for now, I'll just keep my digital copies. I bought some digitally and I have a natural, you know, pirated version of all the movies just because I'm waiting to... I'm going to freely admit it. Some of the movies I won't buy because they're all over the place. So, you know, but hey... Hopefully, us creating this podcast is doing our due diligence and getting more fans and whatever kind of whatever other justification I can come up with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, anyway, James, have we got any more parlay before we get into our movie of today? Of the of today, I think we're ready to get into it. Yeah, we're ready to get into it. So, James, oh, actually, before we continue, if you missed our last discussion, we actually spoke about we had a hefty extra extended long podcast speaking about high fidelity the 2000s movie and the 2020 remake with zoe kravitz 
people really liked that conversation. I really enjoyed it once the edit was done. And uh, yeah, James, how did you feel about it once that was over? Uh, good. I mean, I wasn't the biggest fan of the TV show, but uh, I do love the movie. So, uh, I mean, we, we talked a lot more about the TV show, but I think there was more to talk about with the TV show. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I, and it's uh, exciting. I get to I get to pick two in a row. <laughs> no problemo. So if you miss that discussion, you've probably already seen. If you're watching on YouTube, I always put the poster there, then the YouTube card in the top right corner, so you can go back and check out our playlist of all the other Woody adjacent movies that we spoke about in the past. And before we even start the movie, we're going to talk about today at the front of the podcast. For once, I'm going to ask you to like, comment. And review the podcast on Apple iTunes. Now, to be honest with you, I find that kind of advertising to be annoying. When I listen to podcasts, I don't really want to hear that shit. But <laughs> but the main reason I want you guys to try to do it is because it helps us gain some notoriety in our algorithm. That's the main reason. It's not to stroke our egos. It's so more people can find the podcast. So if you don't mind and taking out a minute or two, or while you're listening to the podcast, why don't you just open up iTunes and do it that way? you know at the same time that way you're enjoying our conversation reviewing the podcast and you know you're doing two things at once you know if you please if you can't be bothered then hey thanks for thinking about it let's move on to the movie of today james why don't you take it away and tell us what we're talking about and uh yeah after that i'll play the trailer today we are talking about the 2017 movie the meyerwitz stories new and selected written directed by noam bombuck and starring Adam Sandler, Ben Stiller, Dustin Hoffman, and Emma Thompson. James, why don't you surprise the audience and tell us when was this movie released? It came out on Netflix in uh, uh, May of 2017. I cannot believe I had not heard about this movie up until now. The cast alone got me thinking what like when you when you mentioned this movie last time i thought this was a movie that just been released during the pandemic nearly five years ago with this cast how did it where did it go i think this is this is the perfect example of the abundance of movies and tv shows we've got through all of our streaming services just being too much things get lost and swallowed and the fact that you listener might not have heard this movie is not a representation of the film's quality because I will tell you right now, I enjoyed the movie. I kind of watched it twice, actually. And um, before you speak about your experience, James, why don't I give people a little taste of the trailer, just so you can hear a bit about the movie before we talk about it. Here's the trailer, guys. Are you Harold Meyerowitz's son, Matthew? Yes. Uh, and this is Danny, also... Harold Meyer, it's his son. I didn't realize he had two sons. And a daughter. Dad, it would be okay here. It'll be nice to spend time with Dad. No, I didn't get a lot of time with him growing up. Son of a bitch! Clearly, they uh, take all of the little birds and deep fry them and just... It's very sad. There are no little birds left in Italy anymore. They've eaten them all. Well, yes, there was such an 
you are going to meet a lot of interesting new people. I didn't make it a month at college because I like drugs so much. Guess you need some bringing down. We're Harold Meyerowitz. You're on the list for the public viewing. Right now, this is a private viewing. Hello, it's a mistake. Hello, this is bullshit. That. She hears everything you're saying. James, if you don't mind, tell us why you picked the movie and how you feel about the movie, and then I'm going to go right after you, sir. I picked the movie because it it does feel very Woody Allen-like. Uh, this is one of, you know, we always talk about what would Woody have done with this movie. I don't know that it would be all that different. I mean, ex- mm-hmm. except for there'd probably be a lot more jazz in it. But uh, also, too, it's interesting because this this feels very much like a Woody Allen movie. And I was thinking about this last night when I was watching it. This this fantastic cast, Woody never worked with any of them, but they yeah. all seem like they should have at some point been in a Woody Allen movie. Yeah. I, I think Dustin Hoffman was approached to play the lead in Deconstructing Harry. Really? Turned yeah. it down. It was, I think, him and Robert De Niro were both asked and mm. neither one of them could do it. I think they both, from what I heard, they wanted to do it, but they had other movies that they were committed to at the time, mm. which is why Woody played that part. But um, I, when, I, when I think about it, Dustin Hoffman actually probably would have made that movie even better. Yeah. Eva, I would have, I'm, I'm telling you, Deconstructing Harry with Robert De Niro. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it, it felt very Woody-like, except maybe it's a little bit more sentimental in spots than Woody would have done. But yeah, it, when I just started thinking about, it, actually, you know, I, when I mentioned the oh, we're, let's let's do high fidelity, I thought about the Meyerwood stories right afterwards. I was like, shit, <laughs> that one would have been great. <laughs> I um, I just want to tell you what my experience was watching this movie for the first time. So you told me to watch. You told me this was your recommendation for the for the month. I said okay. So I played the movie. The first scene I saw was Ben Seller and his daughter trying to park a car, right? This scene, this moment in the movie was about seven minutes. It drove me absolutely fucking insane. <laughs> and then I realized what kind of movie it was going to be, what kind of quirky, awkward movie it was going to be. And when I saw... um. Did I say Ben Seller when I meant to say... Um, uh, Adam Sandler, yeah. Adam, sorry. See, I got that wrong. Well, Adam Sandler with his daughter trying to park this car. And when that scene ended, I was so frustrated that I forgot I was watching the movie. Because sometimes you realize that's the director's in- intention. You know, the writer's intention to put you in this weird, to know the kind of character you're dealing with. And then I started to notice... One thing about this movie is it's editing. It's got a really quick cuts, quick cuts, quick edits, title cards. They work. Sometimes they're jarring, but they're always purposeful. And then I didn't realize who the director was. I said, I know that name. And then I realized we've spoken about a movie he did before as well, very recently as well, which I believe he did Marriage Story as well, didn't he? He was the writer and director of that. Yeah, he did. Yeah. I like this movie. It's quirky. I've watched a lot of family movies like this. In regards to what you said about Woody Allen, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I don't think he would change that much. 
I actually think the movie, this is what I don't, this is what bothers me about Woody sometimes. Sometimes he just stays in his lane too much because what I would say was sometimes I felt this movie was too quirky for Woody. For example, Ooh. there's a part in the movie where they're watching um, uh, Adam Sandler's daughter did, the, who did a movie in film school and she yeah. shot this movie, this sexual movie. And I thought to myself, Woody wouldn't do that. It's too racy. But in Woody's past, he would do stuff like that. But I just feel like Woody switches lanes. He he doesn't mix it up. And that's the thing I like about this movie. It's It's got a bit of energy to it. It's got a quirky energy. It throws F-bombs. It throws some really, really quirky arguments and stuff like that. And I just think Woody, when he does these kind of family dramas in the past, Hannah and her sisters, it's very um, one, two lane. Where I feel like this movie kind of bounces the energy bounces left to right, keeps you engaged, has the quick editing, has the quick cuts, has some narration, has these quirky characters, and it's a multi-character film as well. So I think Woody would have made it a little bit more lean and a bit more subtle, where I feel like Neil Blomkamp really made it a little bit more energetic and other directors have done movies like this where it's just quirky families, dysfunction, you know, not getting on with the parental figures, the mum and the dad, the kids have a problem with them. Woody, I don't know if Woody's actually done a movie where the kids, well, actually he has, because I can just think of two right now. But um, I just, yeah, I, I do appreciate the differences here. And like you said, apart from Woody toning it down a bit and adding more jazz, I don't think Woody would have done much different here. And, and actually, the, you know, you mentioned the editing and the quick cuts, and that reminded me a little bit of Deconstructing Harry. Yes. Where... You know, it would sometimes cut off in the middle of a word uh, in that movie. And then, yeah, the relationship with the parents. I mean, the, the one that I thought of was uh, Mia Farrow's relationship with her parents and Hannah and her sisters. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it's a it's kind of a it can be a rough watch, especially if you have family like this where, you know, I mean, D Dustin Hoffman is the, the patriarch of the family and he's a uh an artist and a, a legend in his own mind and <laughs> you know he i think they said he was married four different times and he has these three kids and his two older kids played by uh adam sandler and elizabeth marvel he more i mean he didn't abandon them but he emotionally abandoned them yeah. when he got remarried and he had ben stiller who you know, he, he talks about Ben Stiller like he's the golden child, which is a whole other kind of uh, trauma that Ben Stiller goes through and the, the guilt and the pressure that he felt. And and yet it's surprisingly funny in a lot of parts. And even in those those funny parts, it never feels like it's taking away from the drama. It feels like it's, uh, you know, sometimes you'll, I mean, the scene where, Ben Stiller and Adam Sandler get into a fight and they, they're fighting more or less like real people yeah. would, would fight. They're not, you know, throwing these haymakers and, uh, you know, they're, they're awkwardly rolling on the ground and slapping at each other and yeah. kicking each other in the shins. And, uh, it, it's, it's funny because for a movie that is both, it's sort of about how, traumatizing family can be but at the same time it's also kind of a celebration of it, it is and the 
the effects of of you know either being neglected or being there being too much pressure on you for being the the favorite and Dustin Hoffman is not likable in the movie at all. He's so self-obsessed is funny. He's so yeah. self-obsessed. Well, he he you know they're trying to have a conversation with him and he he never seems to be able to respond yeah. to anything yeah. they're saying because he's yeah. just he talks over them and he ignores what they're talking about. He doesn't want to talk about their careers, he doesn't want to talk about their families. He just you know wants to either talk about himself and his art or uh, wants to bitch about the service at a restaurant or, you know, whatever it is. And, you know, I definitely know people uh, in my family like that who you you start to think, why am I even, uh, this isn't a conversation. I'm being talked at. And it, it gets frustrating. And, yeah. you know, it's, if I, if I have a criticism and I'll get more into it later, it's, I, I feel like, I don't know if the movie was intentionally trying to portray this or if it or not. It's I, I saw this as like a multi-generational kind of a story about how, let's say, Dustin Hoffman representing kind of baby boomers and that self-obsessed, like ignoring your kids, going for your own happiness thing that that generation did. And then generation x kind of being correcting too much because the one person in this movie that i just did not like at all was adam sandler's daughter and i don't <laughs> yeah. i don't know if that was intentional because it's clear that like while dustin hoffman's kids they've all been kind of traumatized by and, and they feel like they they can never live up to their father their father wasn't there for them Adam Sandler's daughter seems like the most spoiled, self-indulged daughter. And I don't know if that was a commentary on like the overcorrection that uh, my generation did with their kids, or if it was, oh, look at how amazing this girl is. Look how brave she is with her movies where she's uh, never wearing clothes and getting fucked by the Easter Bunny or whatever the hell was happening in those movies. And, you know, the, Adam Sandler's a good dad because he watches these movies and he's supporting her and everything. And I'm just, you know, there's that scene where he's, he's first of all being incredibly indulgent and in that they're at an art show and, you know, she's already had two glasses of wine and now she's having a beer. So she's only 18 and he's allowing this. But, you know, he's trying to tell her, don't, don't drink that beer. He's not telling her don't drink. He's like, don't mix beer and wine. You're gonna, it's gonna make you sick. You're gonna feel like crap. And she's just being so smug. And so you don't know what you're talking about. I know everything, you know, I'm gonna do this. And then he just keeps saying to her, just don't, just don't do it. Just don't, just, you know, and he's being calm and he's being patient. And then she just sort of smiles and pops the beer and takes a sip. And he grabs that beer and chucks it as far as he can and you know i don't know if that moment was supposed to be like i i felt watching it i was like this girl is so spoiled and i don't know if i'm supposed to think that she's spoiled or if i'm supposed to think that she's amazing um i can see where you're coming from 
the one of the things I don't like about those kind of relationships with the young uh, the children, the parents, is when the children are disrespectful. In that mm. scene, because Ben Stiller's there, and this is where the, their argument and fight starts basically from that point after that incident, after she, he throws the um, beer can away from his daughter. I agree with one thing Ben Stiller says that, you know, kids got to live and that, and then he says, don't turn me to parent, which I kind of see where they're all coming from. But the thing I liked about their relationship with the father and daughter is that at least she loves him. They have a loving mm -hmm. relationship. Usually, you know, and she really cares about him. They have a really close relationship and you can really see that, which is refreshing because most of the time when you see those relationships between the, the kids and the father, they just go, no, just suspect. You don't know what you're talking about, dad. And, you know, so it was nice to see the stereotype wasn't run all the way through with just a complete disrespect. Well, to be fair, I I do agree with you, but I felt like that was like the only scene she outright disrespected him, but then he was on the college campus. And I just thought to myself, when you called your kids for so long, I mean, mm -hmm. they were acting like best friends. And to me, I'm like, this is kind of what you get when you raise your kids this yeah. way. I mean, you could kind of tell that, you know, she had a comfortableness with him that is going to bite him in the ass. Yeah, like you said, that, that overcorrection that... Uh my generation did of like helicopter parenting and telling them that everything they do is these these awful awful movies that she makes and if i mean if i'm that if i'm adam sandler and i i would probably look at her at some point and go oh, honey i support you and i'm gonna you know i'm glad you're going to school and everything but i can't watch this <laughs> can i tack on something else which i think is a bit more prevalent to the acting with Adam Sarner in let's zero in on Adam mm. Sarner because Adam Sarner, one of his character things in all of his movies is the snapping. Mm -hmm. Like that's one of his claim. He always snaps. And even though this is one of his more serious roles, again, this is one of those movies where he snaps. He says, yeah. he says the same thing twice and he completely overreacts. That's what he's done in 90% of his movies it kind of annoyed me because that's one of his traits. That's something Anderson does. And I kind of wish he didn't carry that on this, this movie because all of the character stuff, his mannerisms, his posture, everything, I think is done so well. And I yeah. think Adam Sandler is a really good actor. Everyone knows that, I think last year, that movie he made, Uncut Gems, with Netflix as well. Great movie. Amazing movie. Absolutely amazing movie. Everyone praised him. I think, I don't know if he was going to be nominated for an Oscar for that, yeah, he didn't. He did, he did. Everybody thought he would be, but he didn't get the nomination. Yeah. You know, he's done Punch Drug Love. He's done a lot of these movies, um, funny people where you can see he's more than just a comedian. And, you know, Adam Sandler's had that stint where he did these movies like, um, what's that stupid parenting movie he did one or two of? I forgot what they're called. Um, where they're oh, just, Grown Ups. Yeah, Grown Ups, where they just, yeah. just absolute trash. Jack and Jill. Yeah. Uh, what was the space movie about uh, killing the aliens? Uh, oh. Bugs? I forgot what it's called, but, it, you know, it lost so much money. Pixels. Exactly. Pixels. There mm. you go. He's had this career of hits and misses, and now, that's why I'm, I'm really surprised I missed this movie, because this is one of his shining moments, but the, the, I just don't like those the ticks he has with the switching personalities because I think it's kind of weird. But, you know, he, he did really well in this role. Really, really, really well. And at near the end, where they're at one of his, um, I think 
they were selling his father's pieces, Dustin Hoffman's pieces, and him and, and, and Ben Stiller had both, they both had speeches, very awkward, but so natural in their awkwardness. It just felt very organic, you know? And you could really see the damage, the stinted life Adam Sandler had as this, you know, man-child. <laughs> in a way. Even though, he, you know, apparently he's a musician, he's great. And by the end of the movie, I think things have changed for him a little bit, which I don't really want to get spoilers a bit about. But things have seemed to have gotten better for him a little bit. But that's not really the point in the movie. But before I move on to Ben Siller, uh, how do you feel about um, Adam? Uh, you know, the, the, the Sandler screaming that he does, I felt like they tried to justify it in one scene where Dustin Hoffman does the same thing, where they're playing pool and he he messes up a shot and just yeah. breaks the pool cue and, and screams the way that Adam Sandler uh, also screams. But yeah, yeah, that's when he's... Whenever he does the screaming, he, he all you can think about is those stupid comedies that he's been doing for the last 20 years and yeah um and it's frustrating to see him continue to go back to those because he is such a good actor and you know he's made quite a few of these dramatic movies at this point and he's always the best thing in them and he's always praised for for his performances and then he turns around and he goes and does uh some horrible horrible uh generic murder mystery movie he did that one with jennifer anderson i didn't even watch yeah. that last year which you're doing a sequel to yeah and it's just like why are you why, nobody likes those movies anymore why do you keep it's like nobody has liked him in a comedy since the 90s Pretty much. but he keeps going back and doing those when he could just i mean it's the same thing with um you know i think it about uh uh jim carrey like I saw, I saw a thing said J- Jim Carrey's coming back and doing Ace Ventura three. What? Yeah, and I saw that and I was like, oh, that's sad. That's that's depressing. And Jim a Carrey is a good dramatic actor, and instead he's just like trying to be the Jim Carrey from nineteen ninety four. And do you want to know a fun fact? Since you brought up Jim Carrey, I don't think I've ever mentioned this on the podcast. Jim Carrey is my favorite actor. Oh, yeah. Well, like Truman Show and Eternal Sunshine, Man on the Moon. Do you know what? And I always, and this is a a separate conversation, but when I say he's my favorite actor, he's not the best actor I've ever seen. But whenever I see Jim Carrey on screen, he is my absolute favorite actor. And don't get me wrong, Ethan Hawke, probably like my best actor. An actor so diverse and such great movie. Robin Williams, the same other actors i think have much more range but something about jim carrey i've always appreciated i don't know he's just my favorite actor but not the most talented one (laughs) well and and just like you know i mean i think these comedians who do the big broad comedies like jim carrey or adam sandler whenever they do a dramatic movie like to, to me like i always think robin williams is probably the best example of it because if you look at his dramatic performances for the most part, he's always very restrained. Very. And yet, it, it's almost like because we know who he is, and because we know like that that manic energy that he has inside of him, uh, 
that informs the fact that he is so subdued and so restrained. And if you looked at a movie like One Hour Photo, where he's just so meek and quiet and timid, and you're just watching him going, oh man, he's going to explode at some point because I know Robin Williams. And that's, I know what Robin Williams is like. He, he, he must be just so wound up and, and Adam Sandler, he can, he can, we know the Adam Sandler screaming kind of persona. So we don't need to see him necessarily do it. Can I, can I, to know he can do it. Can I just ask you, did you ever watch this movie called Death to Smoochie? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great movie. (laughs) That's a great movie. I know that's complete. I just, so many people do not know about that Robin Williams movie. It's so crazy. Robin Williams, Edward Norton. Death to yeah. Smoochie. I don't think we can ever talk about it as part of this podcast series because no. Woody Allen wouldn't do anything like that. But that's a great, crazy comedy movie that I would highly recommend. But sorry to sorry to jump in there, uh, no, uh, James. But like, the, I, I love when, when comedians do this kind of a part because I always think they can do it sometimes better than anybody. If you got... You know, Adam Driver has a little cameo in this movie. If you put Adam Driver in the Adam Sandler part, I don't think it would work as well because Adam or uh, Adam Driver is just a more straightforward dramatic actor. Yeah, correct. And Adam Sandler can bring a certain humanity to something that only a comedian really could. Yeah, and I do think Adam Driver's comedy is a lot more dry. Wait, when when he did that, I never watched that movie with him and Bill Murray, but that kind I of did. dry. You said it wasn't that great, right? It was not that great, no. But their kind of dry sense of humour, I think that suits him more, but I completely agree with you. Let's jump over to Ben Stella. Mm. Ben Stella, you picked an amazing movie we spoke about um, a couple of months ago with um, Edward Norton, which mm. I'm blanking the name of right now. Keeping the Faith. Keeping the Faith. Here's the thing about Ben Stella. His characters are very similar, which is a criticism. But I always find his characters a lot more easy to digest. And um, I think he plays the roles he plays very well. Mm. A, a straight man, sometimes a quirky man. And he, again, he almost went down the Adam Sandler route. With He was making some crazy comedies, getting slapstick, but then he pulled back early. In my mind, he started to pull away and started to realize he could diversify a bit more. But I do feel like Ben Stiller plays very, very similar acting roles a lot of the time. But I enjoy watching them. I do enjoy watching them. And here, again, I think it's a good role. Pretty straight man. You know, everything seems okay for him. But he's got a problem with his dad that's explored through the movie. But the thing I really liked about his character is I felt like when he was with his brother and sister the energy, you know, became loose. There was a scene where him, his brother and sister were with Dustin Hoffman at the hospital and the nurse, the, the ridiculous, this is the comedy in the movie. When they're at this hospital, the nurse and the doctors are absolutely fucking ridiculous. Yeah. There was a scene and it was, it is the to me, one of the funniest scenes in the whole movie where um, Adams on the Ben Seller and the, and the sister are bombarding the doctor with questions and the doctor's like, yeah, I'm going on holiday. Mm-hmm. And they're like, we feel like you're you're, you're betraying us. Our, our father's, you know, first he had a cold, now first he's in the car accident, now he's in the coma, and you're just leaving to go on holiday. And she's like, yeah, I kind of am. And then I think at one point she even says, 
you should start writing down everything I'm saying or one of the nurses say that. And then the next scene, they're all writing down everything the nurse is saying while the nurse is prattling off everything wrong with him. But when Ben Stiller is with them and they're all doing that, it's it, he just opens up because he's such a straight man in this character. But then when he's with his, his family, the quirkiness kind of pulls out. And when he, whenever he's with the other characters, Dustin Hoffman, um, Adam Sandler, he really comes into his own. But when he's on his own, he's just doing his building stuff. He's like just, you know, the rich, the well, property developer, whatever he is, guy, just doing his thing. But I really do like that when he starts to unload on his father and they have that scene where, you know, he, he goes, he brings his father to his mum's house. He's letting him, um, he's about to see him off in the car and they have a massive argument. Great scene. My only criticism is just that I've, it's not really out of Ben Tedder's wheelhouse. You know, it's very, very similar to what he's done before. And um, But I always think he's a good, strong, romantic lead. But if you just put him in a drama or just a comedy per se, he stays in a certain lane. And here, I think he kind of does that as well. Yeah, I mean, he's, I mean, another example of just uh, a comedian who, when he wants to, he can really, really pull off a great dramatic performance. I don't know that he's done like a really flat out silly comedy since Tropic Thunder. Yeah. And Tropic Thunder is a fucking masterpiece but i like his sort of you know i not a lot of people i didn't know this i only found this out recently uh i think when we did keeping the faith and i was looking at uh uh his wikipedia page he had pretty severe colon cancer really yeah like six seven years ago and that was around the time where i feel like he started making movies like secret life of walter mitty and oh. uh stuff like this where he was like you know what i'm i'm kind of older now and i've gone through this experience i don't really know that i can do a goofy comedy again and he really started to focus on being not necessarily a dramatic because secret life of walter mitty is still kind of a comedy and so is yeah. meyerwood stories i like how you're not bringing up zoolander too by the way oh fuck i forgot zoolander <laughs> too I've never seen it, and I, I don't intend to. Um, but lucky, um, lucky you, lucky. Yeah, you. but um, I really bought him in this role of of the put upon son. Uh, I I maybe believed him as Dustin Hoffman's son even more than I did Adam Sandler's Adam Sandler as Dustin Hoffman's son. Although I, you could say that because maybe you know, Dustin Hoffman kind of did abandon Adam Sandler. And so, of course, Ben Stiller would be more like Dustin Hoffman um, because he actually got his father's focus. But um, yeah, there's a there's a great scene of him right after that fight with um, with Adam Sandler where he has to give a speech at uh, this the showing of his father's work. Yeah, yeah, just I up, yeah. Breaks down. And, you know, both he and Adam Sandler just kind of in front of this audience unload about our father was a complete asshole. Yeah. And we still love him, but he screwed us up. And 
it's so cathartic. And yet at the same time, when after he's done giving the speech and Adam Sandler takes over and, you know, you just see Ben Stiller sitting over there just sort of completely deflated and Adam Sandler kind of, you know, looks over at him and tries to get him to say something else. And Ben Stiller just has this reaction of just like, uh, no, I got, I got nothing left. And it's, it's, it's believable, but it's also funny. And that's, that's his performance in a nutshell. It's, you know, you, he never goes wacky with it and he stays consistently funny. But at the same time, when he lets loose on Dustin Hoffman, when, you know, right after that scene with Candace Bergen and just, he's just unloading all of this pain and trauma and Dustin Hoffman is just sort of like, whatever, you're, you're just being kind of a jerk now and I'm going to leave. And th there's, just, there's so much pain in the movie that you would think it would be a drag, but it never really feels like a drag to me. It feels very cathartic. Yeah, I agree. I just love the relationship between the siblings. It grows mm. on you. At first, I actually, when I first played the movie, I thought this was just going to be an Adam Sandler and Dustin Hoffman movie. But then as they started to introduce more actors, I thought, wow, this is a star-studded cast. And then when I realized it was a brother and sister, then a, um, a half-brother from another part, and there was dysfunction here. I can relate to that because I come from a family where I have half-brothers and we didn't live together and there's an age difference. So I can relate to that. And yes, they're white people, you know, they have a, a certain amount of privilege, but you don't see it because they're so emotionally fractured that you can see they, they all, you know, no one came out unscathed. And Dustin Hoffman's in La La Land. He's just in his own world. He really yeah. is. And I remember the scene where they were trying to, um, he's got this thing about obviously feeling underappreciated. And so critical of new artists and things they do and how, you know, I think there was a scene where uh, I think there was this artist show that wanted to have his work shown there, but he wasn't going to be, it wasn't going to be just about his show. It's going to be a collection of other artists as well. And he's like, yeah, fuck that. They have no respect for me. I'm not going to be part of a show. He thinks he's more important than he actually is. And there, you can... I think there is there is a Dustin Hoffman. A, Dustin Hoffman is one of my favorite actors. Um, I love that era of actors that De Niro, Pacino, Jack Nicholson uh, period of actors that came out of the seventies. And uh, Dustin Hoffman plays it in a way that you can kind of see every now and then. He gets it. He's not that important. He's he never really made an impact in the way that. Um, somebody like his friend played by Jed Hirsch in the movie, uh, how he made an impact, how he is regarded as important. And when he feels that, when he realizes, oh, I'm, you know, I'm a pretty minor uh, artist, he just lashes out. He just suddenly turns on people. And um, I think even though he's playing a com complete prick in the movie, he does manage to give enough of a performance where you get where he's coming from. You see how he's just really petty. And part of it comes from this pain of having 
poured so much of his life into trying to say something with his art and just maybe he's just not that good or maybe he's just not he never connected with other people because he doesn't know how to connect with other people but he realizes that and it it hurts him and he's taking it out on the people around him and um, oh go ahead no no finish your thought because I'm, I'm you know what I was I was about to make a tasteless joke. Uh, please do. Thank you for the stage, James. What does Dustin Hoffman and Woody Allen have in common? What's that? They've both been cancelled. That is true. Now, <laughs> this is the last movie I remember Dustin Hoffman doing. Exactly, and that's what I want to bring up because since that, that's another reason why I was supposed. To... So when I when you put this movie to me, I thought. Dustin Hoffman, hasn't he been cancelled? How did Netflix put him in a movie? Then when I saw the year, I was like, oh, this was before he was cancelled. Okay, I see now. I feel like right before, and I feel like maybe one of the reasons that you didn't hear about it, I, I'd seen the trailer like quite a while before the movie came out, but I think he got cancelled around the time this came out. Mm. So maybe Netflix was just like, oh, yeah, that's not Let's not put it out. Let's just quietly release this. And, um, but yeah, he's one. Of, he is like Woody Allen in that. That's that's not the only thing they have in common. I know people are probably screaming <laughs> like, oh, "Do I?" No, Dustin Hoffman is an amazing actor, celebrated actor. You know, I can name so many movies of his that we might even be talking about one of his movies down the line as well. Well, I can obviously the most obvious one is which I don't. Well, hmm, maybe not. Let's talk about that off mic. But yeah, okay. Dustin Hoffman, celebrated actor. I've got nothing but respect for him. As for the controversy, that's a completely separate thing. But James, please finish your thought. I, I feel like it, where he does that, the cancellation of him for me is uh, a lot like Woody in that I don't think it's, you know, with with what Dustin Hoffman apparently did, you could cancel any actor from that era for doing pretty much the same kind of stuff. I think it's like he grabbed a girl's butt and um, on on the set of like Kramer versus Kramer in 1979 and you could, I don't think you could find too many actors who didn't behave that way. So it's the kind of thing where you you know, it, it's I think about it like with with uh, Charlie Chaplin or Alfred, Alfred Hitchcock, people like that. It's like, it was a different time and yeah, their behavior wasn't right. But if you're going to cancel them, you have to cancel everybody from that era because they all behaved this way. And, you know, he just happened to have that come out at the height of Me Too. And, yeah. uh, but it, it's one of those, he's one of those performers where I, I, I I I love what he does with every movie. I don't think I've ever seen a movie where I didn't like him in it. And he's just one of the best actors of all time, in my opinion. I completely agree. I'm going to be very, very, very harsh and say something. I wouldn't think the cancellation hurt his career as much because I don't really... Dustin Hoffman was never someone that was really like... To me, his star faded in the 90s completely 
just because he became, from what I could tell, from what people were saying, a lot more picky about what he wanted to do. He cared about what he did more than the roles he played. Like, you can argue some other actors, like, you know, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, they always made the same kind of crime thriller, even though, you know, they became typecast and that you can argue, right? But Dustin Hoffman's like, no, I'm not doing that again. Mm-hmm. He's like, he always wanted to do something different, even if he's like, I don't need to do another movie for five years. So, him getting cancelled was kind of like, so what? He doesn't do much. Yeah, He's not in that limelight as much. So, if anything, in a way, it's more distasteful because he doesn't do much and you're hurting a man's career who doesn't make that much money anyway. I know it's not just about the money. I'm just I'm just making a very frank observation. Dustin Hoffman being cancelled to me was kind of like, you know, now you're just taking over the, the leftovers, really, because nobody yes. cares... Nobody cares about Dustin Hoffman. No, no, it was they were. I think you know, I, Me Too started out with like one horrible story after another, but then it did get to a certain point where it was like, you know, well, he once put his hand on my shoulder. Exactly. You know, and that's that was that's the point where you start going, all right, this is just yeah, this is everybody coming out and. Yeah talking about every single time that anything happened to them that made them slightly uncomfortable. Yeah. And I'm not trying to minimize any kind of abuse or any, I'm not trying to do that. I'm just saying Dustin Hoffman in the grand scheme of things is small pickings in my personal opinion. So, you know, when I saw that, I used to watch this series called masterclass where actors and writers and musicians teach you the skills and you know masterclass is a brand name now they do so many you know cooks them on there gordon ramsay you can learn how they do it masterclass dustin hoffman had a masterclass people were like wow what a great choice seasoned actor as soon as this thing came out they took it off they cancelled his masterclass he already recorded it and it was already it's a subscription service but they took it away as well as kevin spacey as well obviously but in my mind and I know I'm going off topic here, but Kevin Spacey is a much bigger fish. He has a Netflix oh, yeah. series ongoing. He does movies all the time. You know, not anymore, obviously. But at the time, they got a big one with Kevin Spacey. But Dustin Hoffman, so to wrap this right back around to this movie, it was nice to see Dustin Hoffman again, is what mm-hmm. I'm saying. And now, I don't think I'll see him again, really, because mm-hmm. he's a pariah, yeah. which is a shame. Yeah, and it's... I mean, I, I think we're going to look back on that this era and think, you know, the, the thing about artists is they're all kind of crazy. And that's why you'll you'll get a lot of like, uh, oh, this guy was a womanizer. Not, not always this guy. Sometimes it's, it's the woman who's, uh, you know, uh, sleeping around with, with lots of different guys and taking advantage of different guys and stuff. Um, they're all kind of crazy. Actors especially are desperate for attention every second of their lives. And you're always going to find out that they did something. And you'll get somebody like, you know, uh, like I, I can watch Kevin Spacey movies and not think about what he did. But I don't think I'd want to watch any new Kevin Spacey movies. Mm. Uh, and, I, you know, but I'm not going to not watch The Usual Suspects because it's a great movie. And, you know, 
and and that's another one where it's like Brian Singer directed it, and he's got his own issues. And but sometimes you, uh, for me, you have to separate the art and the artist because every artist is nuts. Every artist has done something that if everybody knew about it, they'd get canceled. Now so, that needs to be framed. You see, that's how you have to say it because if mm. you say the first part that now. Everyone needs to separate us from other. Like, you need to have a good reason, and that is a good reason because ninety nine percent of artists have some shady, fucked up shit. Yep. That you can go historically through time, musician, actor, athlete—they're all pretty shitty. You know what I mean? And I know they're on different levels. I know a child abuse is not the same as a thief, and when you know, mm-hmm. we hate to try to equivalent things, but I agree with you. Right, but I mean, like, people to this day celebrate Charlie Chaplin. Charlie Chaplin never met a woman uh, over the age of 16 that he was attracted to. Alfred Hitchcock never met a blonde on his movies he didn't sexually harass. And yet these people are still celebrated. I mean, for a contemporary of Dustin Hoffman, I, I would bet money Jack Nicholson has done some pretty shady stuff. I think he's been called out. I think they've tried to cancel him. I'm pretty sure they've tried to cancel him. Yeah, he doesn't. He's been retired for 10 years, so I'm sure he hears, oh, you know, they're canceling you, Jack. And he's like, I don't give a shit. <laughs> what do I care? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I'm i sure all of them from that era, they were all on coke. <laughs> they were all doing, you know, crazy stuff at that time. You could easily, I mean, the, cancel somebody like Mick Jagger. I'm sure Mick Jagger did far worse things than Dustin Hoffman ever did. But yeah, I mean, if, if you, if you can't separate the artist from the art, then you miss out on some great art. And what you get instead is maybe art from people who are more safe. They're not gonna, you're gonna get Marvel movies basically. If, if you can't separate the art from the art and I'm not shitting on Marvel movies, but they're generic. They're inoffensive. They're trying to appeal to the widest possible audience. They, you know, I'll, I'm going to pull a Martin Scorsese on this. They aren't cinema. They're, yes. they're entertainment, but they're not cinema. This... I mean, I don't want to go too... I would say they're a different... I think there's different kind of cinema. I want to go that far. I want to go that far. They're movies. <laughs> and I think that's where I would separate, like, you know, because, you know, it's like you can't compare uh, Avengers Endgame to The Graduate or, you know, or, or uh, Vertigo or some okay. classic. Let me, then James, like let, me, let me give you one of these. You're going too far now, James. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was a movie snob now. Now, let me bring it back in. Let's get back on topic before... We start, continue our rambles. Well, I will say this, though, before we on. do. You're going to, this video, this uh, podcast is going to get more shit for me saying that about Marvel movies than anything else. So. Wow. You just thought, you know what? You're going to get a round of applause for that. <laughs> <laughs> Proving his point. All right, let's, let's cut the round of applause short. All right, let's get to, um, before we move off Dustin Hoffman, I do want to get to one little piece that made me laugh. You know, I love it when movies get a tiny bit meta, and then bring in like an actor in the movie and Dustin Hoffman's character just couldn't let go of meeting Sigourney Weaver, which I thought was hilarious. 
that was yeah. another part of the movie where I was just like Sigourney Weaver. And when I saw her, I was like, oh, cool. And when I saw her, that's when I thought this movie must be older because then I thought because I was like, she don't look like that anymore. But uh, anyway, that was just a side. The most mundane exchange and he just can't let it go. Yeah, definitely. And it was funny. It just showed how senile he was actually becoming. But let's get on to the last character of the kind of sibling trio, Elizabeth Marvel as uh, Joan Mayowitz. Um, she was great. She seems, yeah. in a way, well, I felt she kind of got the least screen time, but she had a very manic energy about her. And at the end, where they gave her a chapter, which was, to me, kind of the shortest chapter anyway, when she divulged an incident that she had in a very detached way, I, I kind of liked the way the conversation was had because it seemed very, it seemed very, um, well, it seemed natural in the way that I think this is the reaction most people would have. Now, I'm not sure if the Me Too movement, this had to be made before because I think if that scene and what she brought up happened after Me Too, maybe that would have been dealt with differently but then i feel like maybe noah blancamp the director probably would have said no fuck that i'm doing it the same way but either way her part her last chapter her character was really well done uh seems in some ways the most manic the most offbeat character of the three but they don't give her a lot of time i kind of wish she had a bit more time for me personally i don't know if you agree with that but, you know, she, I think she did really well. I think she was a great addition. I thought her acting was spot on. I felt she was just as fucked up, if not more than the other two brothers. But I was yeah. like, oh, I wish I kind of got more of her, you know? And, yeah, I mean, it goes to show, because we've, we've mentioned her several times over the course of this, this discussion, but we kept saying Adam Sandler, Ben Stiller, and the sister. And, you know, she's not as big a star. So, you know, like I, I had to look up what her name was, but um, yeah, I did. Absolutely... I did as well. I'm not gonna lie, I did as well while we was talking. <laughs> she she has to hold her own with these, you know, big stars, and she does so, and gives a performance is absolutely equal to yeah. everybody. Yeah, she's just as damaged. I actually think she seems to she. I thought that she seemed to hold it together better than the other two brothers that she's, she just comes off as fucked up because she's kind of mousy, you know, she kind of fades into the background. I think that's another reason why we would say, and the sisters, because that's, everybody has to bring up that she even exists. Yeah. And again, it's another different kind of pain for a son to to crave his father's attention and for a daughter to crave her father's attention. And they do a good job of separating that and her feeling in that moment where she's talking about that, that incident that happened to her when she was younger, she yeah. feels like she wasn't protected, that her father didn't care. He cared more about, uh, you know, maintaining this relationship with this great artist than he did about protecting his daughter um, it's probably the worst thing that in the movie that you hear Dustin Hoffman did was yeah. dismissing this, uh, 
this incident that happened to her. But um, yeah, she's great in it. She's funny. You know what? Uh, Let's roll it back a little bit. I'm going to be completely honest and say something. You say dismissing, but what Dustin Hoffman did, and I'll be, I'm going to spoil it. It'll be a little bit specific here. When she said, she told her father, and then he asked, did did he touch you? And he said, no. And he said, good, or I'll punch him in the face. I feel like that's exactly what my dad would have said. Yeah, well, especially maybe, I mean, I think now people would take it a little bit more seriously. 100%. It was, you know, he did this, this whole, you know, Dustin Hoffman should have been like, I don't even know if it's necessarily, because I don't remember how old she said she was when it happened. I don't I know she that was, was in, I thought she was in camp. I thought she was like 13. I thought she was in like a... Okay, uh, then it, okay. it would have been a criminal thing that he yeah. did. But yeah. um, either way, it's whether it's criminal or not, you don't ever speak to that guy again. Definitely. You know, if you're, if you're the father of the person that that happened to, and Dustin Hoffman just sort of like, you know, well, I'm part of this art community and I want to continue to be a part of this art community. Yeah. So the yeah. fact that he, he didn't touch yeah. you means yeah. that I'm not going to uh, yeah. make any waves. And, yeah. but the, the revenge that Adam Sandler and Ben Stiller then get when they find out is arguably the funniest scene in the whole movie. It's yes. fucking stupid. <laughs> and it, it's you know the fact that her, her reaction to it is like why would you, why would i have wanted you to do that yeah very and, funny very but it's funny. it's suddenly they're being brothers all of a sudden and that's i think the great thing about the movie is you're watching these three people who have been sort of fractured apart by their their father coming back together and bonding over what they had gone through together and even though they sort of went through went through it separately but they all went through basically the same experience and seeing them reconnect and seeing them become a family and also seeing them you know and i don't want to i don't want to spoil the end of the movie but seeing them both accept their father but also reject his abuse yeah and say you know what just because you're our father and just because we love you doesn't mean we have to put up with this and we're not going to. And it's very empowering. It's the, it's the kind of movie you feel good about afterwards. Definitely. Instead of just wallowing in the misery, it's these people who start the movie miserable but end it in a better place. I watched this, I watched half of the movie on my own. Then my girl came and my girlfriend came in halfway through and then I went back to show her the crazy sex, stupid sex movie that Adam Sandler's daughter made, and then the rest of the movie, and she laughed. It was out of context. Sometimes it's funny to watch a movie out of context because back in the day when we had terrestrial TV and we couldn't rewind or use mm. Netflix, and we just came in the middle of a movie and we watched the movie. You know, it's a very interesting experience. So sometimes, because my girl doesn't care about movies as much as I do, I let her come in halfway through and get her take on it. And she just thought, what the, f-? with no context. I thought this was such a great movie. And I like, you know what, I really, just like you said, James, by the end of the movie, I had a big smile on my face. I felt like it was very, I, wouldn't, I would not call this a crowd-pleasing movie. I would call this a feel-good, a quirky, offbeat, feel-good movie. Mm-hmm. Really well-directed. You know, it's definitely um, 
<laughs> it's definitely not what someone would call cookie cutter by any means, but um, I actually just wish it was probably 20 minutes shorter. I think it could be tighter, to be honest with you. I think it takes a while to get going because I think the first 20 minutes is just taken up with Adam Sandler. If, if the movie started with all three of them, I think it would have been better. And actually, that's another criticism. The movie kind of chops itself up into chapters. I don't really think it works that well. I think the title card's there for his... I don't really... It didn't, it didn't feel like it worked, you know? I think the mm. movie could have been all of them through the whole movie, flowing in and out, and it might have been even more enjoyable because I think together, all the actors worked better than they did when the movie tried to spotlight them separately and then it brought them together halfway through the movie to the end. I just felt like that first half would have been stronger if they were there through the whole thing. Other than that, really fun movie, really good movie. I don't, again, I don't think Woody could have made this, a Woody version of this to me would have been definitely kind of tampered down in terms of the narrative and finessed with a lot more lavish cinematography and music, but then you would have lost a lot of the quirky character stuff. So I think Neil Bonkamp, great act, great director. We loved his other movie. Um, and on top of that, I can already tell you there's movies that he was a screenwriter for, which we will be talking about in the future, which was already chosen by our listeners, to my surprise. So James, this was a great pick, and I really enjoyed this movie. And I wanted to, last last person we haven't talked about is Emma Thompson. And I did want to throw her out there real quick because she is very good in a role that is not likable. And uh, I, I thought that she probably was the weakest of the cast other than Adam Sandler's daughter, but uh, she still managed to bring some humanity to a character that uh, I did not like, but she never was so off-putting that it ruined the movie for me. I didn't realize with Emma Thompson until the movie was over. Emma Thompson is a great character, actor, actor, actress, whatever. And she always, to me, she plays unlikable characters more often than not, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think she does it very well. And, you know, she is a she is a working actor. She does so... Her IMDb credits is non-stop. She's always, always, always working. Never scared to take a smaller role. Getting paid. Prolific. Amazing actor. You know, um, she was in that movie I like, which I think we will talk about, actually. The movie with... Um, talk about a comedic actor doing a more serious role, Stranger Than Fiction. Oh, yeah. That's a great movie. With Emma Thompson as well. So... We'll get to that. I think that's definitely one to kind of talk in the guise of um, the Woody adjacent kind of thing. But yeah, thank you for pointing her out. I agree. It's just, she had such a small role. I was I actually wasn't going to spotlight her, but I mean, you you cannot take anything away from Emma Thompson. She's a prolific actress. She's always acting. And even if we don't mention her, I can guarantee you, she will be in another movie we speak about because she's enough. You know what? I think she's worked with Woody Allen before. I think she has. I'm going to Google that while I let you wrap up. Let me see if I'm wrong. But that's my thoughts on the movie. You know, really good. Really good time. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I I agree. I don't think... I think Woody would have probably changed some things, but I don't think a lot. And I, I it's it's just... Again, I, I, I sometimes I come away with the, from these movies and I just think, what a shame that we're never going to get to see a... A movie Woody Allen directs that has Ben Stiller in it. 
or has Dustin Hoffman in it or has Adam Sandler in it or you know other other actors that you know like Adam Driver uh, the there's it's it 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 makes me sad to to think about just the waste of talent and I don't know that Woody even has any good movies left in him because his last few have been pretty mediocre to bad but uh I, I would love to see him make a comeback and work with some really great actors like this and i think if he had made the Meyerwood stories uh it it probably would have been another hannah and her sisters mm. i think he would have really pulled off that level of uh uh of greatness and uh it's i it's just a shame that we we probably won't ever see that again from him probably so yeah emma thompson from what i can see has never worked with woody allen in fact she's condemned him <laughs> ah. she condemned i think um she called out kate winslet after um wonder wheel and uh yeah but um yeah and now i wish i hadn't brought her up <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I'll, I'll leave that there um do you know what on a i just gotta go on a completely different completely out of this direction topic so right now for those of you who probably do not give a shit about what i'm about to say i'm kind of invested in um uh what's the cryptocurrency yeah so then you know there's this whole right now in the world there's this whole talk about nfts non-fungible tokens and you know what is a non-fungible token and i was sitting here trying to wrap my head around cryptocurrency and i just thought to myself if woody allen came out of the blue and just made a movie about getting into cryptocurrency something he knows nothing about nfts you know buying something that means nothing or just getting into technology I mean, I think it would be fucking hilarious. I just thought if Woody Allen tried to do a movie about something he knows nothing about and put his comedy chops in there, I think it would be hilarious. When he's working with younger actors, that's what he should be doing, you know? Mm -hmm. But um, that was just a, a side thought. Yeah, uh, I mean, as, and maybe listening to somebody else in regards to the script so that you know that it didn't sound like a, a, an 82 year old man talking about cryptocurrency i think that's the comedy i think that is it do you do you even know what an nft is james nope <laughs> <laughs> uh guys for those who are interested i'm i'm looking to buy some sandbox some ng coin and yeah maybe i'll be rich and then you know me and james can just do this podcast full time four times a month because i'll be a crypto millionaire and you know what I'll do? I'll even remaster all of Woody Allen's. I will fund, I will start my own publishing company. I would find all the, I would purchase all of Woody Allen's back, back catalog, just the distribution rights to remaster all of them, give it to Sunyi, put it under the imprint and just remaster everything in one collection. You probably get the rights pretty cheap. That is the goddamn sad truth. That is the goddamn... I'm going to play the sad music, James. <laughs> very, very true. My God. What has this world come to? Anyway, let me stop fucking about. Guys, thank you for listening. To <laughs> I really went on a tangent this time. Thanks for listening to another episode of um, Woody Adjacent. James, have you got any final thoughts before we wrap this one up? No, no. I'm just, I, I 
this is my second time seeing that movie and I liked it better the second time and I yeah. look forward to seeing it again someday. I will definitely be watching this movie again. It's just, it's an easy laid back fun watch. And uh, before we wrap up and sign off and do all our other stuff, I'm going to mention the next movie, the last movie we're going to be talking about for this year, 2021. And before I announce what that movie is, I want to start by saying, guys, through this project, you've noticed me and James have picked some movies no one's really heard about. We trying to throw some jabs at each other, some, you don't know this one, I don't know this one. But for our last movie of the year, I'm going mainstream. I'm going to pick, if we want to talk about kind of cutie cutter, romantic comedy, I want to pick one of my all-time favourites. And I just think it's a very, I just think it does everything well with what people call one of the queens of the romantic comedy genre, Meg Ryan. Can you guess, James, what movie we're going to be talking about next? I think that you had mentioned before that it was Addicted to Love. It was. Damn it. I was hoping you were going to say when Harry met Sally. And I was going to say, no, James, no. That's the obvious one. <laughs> that is the obvious one. And that is one we're going to be doing next year because we've had a lot of requests to talk about when Harry met Sally, which I just think is a definition of low hanging fruit. But yeah. we're still going to do it. But that's fine. But no, the last movie we're going to be talking about at the end of this year to wrap up this year's version that this year's entry into adjacent is going to be the matthew Broderick, meg ryan comedy romantic comedy addicted to love one of my favorite romantic comedies just ticks all those juicy boxes because it's christmas we just want to have some nice levity and next year i'm gonna throw you another because i've got the next i'm going free i got i got december i got january and i got february but february's one you already know what that is but as for January's one, we're gonna I'm gonna start the year next year throwing you a definite left hook listener. So stay tuned for that. But if you haven't watched Addicted to Love, I know I, I don't know what streaming channel it's on, Netflix or Amazon. It's easy to find. You might be rolling your eyes like, oh my god, really? Addicted to Love? Yes. Addicted to Love. <laughs> Let's watch the movie. And if you haven't watched it and you've seen the trailer and you think this is gonna be shit, give it a watch. Then have a listen to us talk about it. And let's see if my love for it is justified. So on that note, James, where can the people reach you if they want to reach you, buddy? Uh, I am always on manic-expression.com and you can find my books on Amazon. You can find them on Amazon. And as always, I will put the link to his books in the description below. Also, I will also put the link into the blog that we mentioned right at the beginning with Wallace Shaw, his defensive blog for Woody Allen, in the podcast description as well as that woody allen collection by uh what was that what was that um publishing company called again they had a weird I name i already forgot <laughs> uh let me no no it was, i want to say quibby but that's yeah, not right no, uh, let me quiver quiver i mean just that name quiver i mean it's not it's not the best production name to have for woody allen <laughs> for woody allen distribution <laughs> is it <laughs> no yeah, quiver, 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 quiver. Okay, quiver. Well done. Let's give quiver some props. They're produ- they're putting these movies out there. Let's let's not hate on them, even though the movies aren't the best. Quiver, props to you, fans. Go pick up them that new um, Blu-ray collection out there. Fifty bucks, eight movies. If you do the math, it's not the worst deal ever as well. So, 
yep, you can find me uh, if you still like, if you still feel like talking to me after all my rambles at Planet Tyro on Twitter. Thanks for subscribing. Don't forget to leave a review on uh, iTunes. Leave a comment on YouTube. Tell your friends or anyone you feel who would be interested in these discussions. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the support. And we'll see you for the last recording of this year in the next recording.